What a great privilege it is for me to walk across the street, to come to ATS and to be here with you today. And you know, we each have unique opportunity because we are able to look over to the beauty of your campus and to watch as we look out this way and you all look toward us. And so may that always be an opportunity for us to lift each other up in prayer. My message this morning is about Christians in a religiously pluralistic world, how to live and serve. And so the key verse from what you read, heard read is always be prepared to give a defense for the hope that you have, but do it with kindness and with gentleness. And so that's what I want us to focus into uh, today. We do value the great friendship that we have with you and see many faces that I recognize and others that I don't, but it's uh, so good for us to work and serve together in this community. And so I bring you greetings from Asbury University, and I also bring you greetings from Becky. It may be difficult for you to see Becky, but Becky is one of our horses that's just a mile down the road on our equine farm. And I got this picture a few days ago from some of those that were working on the uh, working that day there. We have a program that is an equine facilitated therapy program and so we bring in special needs uh, people and children particularly in the community. And so when I first saw this, you know, it's, sometimes it's difficult for us in this role because we often see things through the eyes of the president. And so I looked at this and thought, what's happened to our beautiful white horse here? You know, and I see all of these colors all over her, so how are we going to get her clean? And I start immediately processing those kinds of things, and immediately the Lord said, you know, you should be like Becky. Oh, that we were like Becky. And so then I read the note that was below the picture, and we had 40 kids from the early learning village that were there that day. And so they did not care one bit to get their hands dirty, and our pristine beautiful white horse did not care one bit to be touched and to have her hair to be dirty. And she's standing there so calm, it's okay, doesn't matter what you do to me. And so if there is, I might even summarize my message today, it's captured in this picture. Oh, that we would be willing to be touched by those, the least of those around us. Becky didn't care to be touched by the least of these, the young little children. And they were not intimidated and did not mind. And so something in her was welcoming enough that they were willing to put their hands all over her. May that be the case for us. One of the greatest challenges we face today, all of us together, is how to live in a culture that is so deeply divided by religious differences. Asbury is in the midst of a campaign, one of the most aggressive capital campaigns that we've ever had, and so it's kept me on the road a good bit, particularly over the last year. And so we had a plan for um, us to be in 25 different cities, and being Asburyans, whether you are Asbury University Asburyans or Asbury Theological Seminary Asburyans, we have friends all over the world. But it's wonderful that we are so scattered. We have alumni in all 50 states, and I suspect you do too. And so that's a great blessing. But when you're trying to reach them, it can be a bit of a challenge because we've got to get on the plane and go from east to 
west, north to south to see them. But one, and so we had 25 different cities around the U.S. that we were connecting with, and I'm happy to say that I've covered 24, I have one to go, uh, and that's next week. But the, the great opportunities of connecting with folks, people who have shared values, care about our Lord, care about our world, care about our culture, I have uh, many questions that come at me and even concerns that come at me from these folks. And so you might even uh, say that my thoughts today have centered around just trying to get my arms around questions that have come to them and ones that they're asking, what do we do? How do we live as Christians in this world? And so I'd leave each of these gatherings very thankful for Asbury University, but also very thankful for ATS. And I've left them carrying a much deeper burden to help others speak with hope, with conviction, and also with commitment. Because I believe if there are to be answers to the discomfort and confusion, that those answers are going to be rooted in Christian education and theological education. We must learn how to engage our neighbors who are different from us and to do so willingly. And to do it willingly with our neighbors. And what's, what's become increasingly real to me is that we, we may do this better internationally than we do at home. You know, we can go to Honduras or to China or to India and we understand the diversity of religious thoughts and cultural ways there. But what about for our neighbors? next door. And so that's really what I want us to think about today. And I know that Dr. Tennant has his own uh, strategic focus, but I'm going to put another burden on you. I think Asbury Theological Seminary has a great opportunity to be preparing graduates in, in your graduate schools and doing research, but that is research that is both theory and strategy. Now, we need to understand how we respond, but we also want to put those things in place that allow us to respond and to be able to implement uh, solutions. I was reading last weekend. I'd been gone from Sunday through Saturday, came home, picked up the newspaper, and I don't always turn to Dear Abby as my uh, advice column. But there was a word in the Dear Abby column that caught my eye, and it has much to say in our message today. And so I'm going to read this to you. Dear Abby, about a year ago, my daughter befriended a schoolmate. After numerous playdates, our families have become close. While my family is atheist, we know that this family is devoutly Christian. Recently, after I mentioned in conversation that we weren't religious, they invited me to go to their church for service. I diplomatically declined, but it felt awkward after having told the mom of our non-beliefs. Since then, this family invites us to church constantly, and the mom routinely quotes scripture to me when we're talking. I feel like they're trying to convert us. I'm hurt that the respect that we extend to them in their faith is not being reciprocated to us in our non-faith. How do I let her know that she's being disrespectful to me and my family's beliefs without jeopardizing the friendship between our families? 
This is a sad story for me to read. And as I thought about that, I realized that we do need to know better how to speak into the lives of others who do not share our beliefs. Religious pluralism in its most basic form simply means diversity of faiths and of differing religious views. It's taking on a deeper meaning, and I won't get into that, but just diversity of faiths for our purposes today. And that is quite different for us in our own neighborhoods. Only a few decades ago, American culture was almost universally regarded as Christian. Most leaders, as well as most people generally, not only accepted this fact, but they more or less agreed that this is how things ought to be. And perhaps many of you have grown up as I did, that even in communities where our neighbors and friends were not people who would have expressed their faith, they somehow embraced the fact that we were Christian. And I even worked for a boss in a prior life when I was banking, whom I used to uh, say to the Lord when I was praying for him, he's not a Christian, but he's sure glad I am. He loved hanging out with a Christian, but he really didn't want to commit to those Christian principles himself. And so anytime any big uh, meeting was coming up or something we were working on, he'd come into my office and say, well, you better pray. We've got a big day coming up today. So he took great comfort in knowing that he was hanging out with Christians, even though he was not. But this is not true today. And so I want us to look at a few very practical aspects of religious pluralism, and then to challenge us as educators to develop strategies for leading transformational conversations. Of course, hindsight's always 2020, but as I look back at this column and just think, Lord, give us, give me opportunities to speak into the lives of this woman and help me to be a transformational witness and not one that is offensive. And so I would say then as my first point today that we need to be cautious about the rampant cultural warring. I refer to it as cultural warring. Uh, There are many things, of course, that we stand on, but we are not to be about cultural warring. There are many competing faith narratives on every front, and every day we experience clashing views from Muslims to Asians to Hispanics to blacks to whites to mainliners and evangelicals, pro-choicers versus pro-lifers, gays, straight, men, women, elites, the poor, and God help us, Democrats and Republicans, as we are experiencing those clashing values today. And so my question for each of us is, are we prepared to live in a serve and serve in a world with these vast differences? And how do we respond to those who do not share our moral, ethical, and spiritual values? Can you remain steadfast in the midst of these shifting cultural landscapes? I pray that we will. Is your faith strong enough that it will sustain you? Are you grounded and rooted in the solid rock of Jesus? And are you confident that he will sustain you? We are to be unapologetic Christians, certainly, and we are to be steadfast, and we are driven by conviction. But at the same time, we are not to create such a gulf between ourselves and others that we lose the opportunity and the power of Jesus in us. As Christians, we can be so dogmatic in our relationship with non-Christians that we become offensive rather than winsome. 
The gospel is good, it is true, and it is life-giving. So let's extend, extend the hand of grace and mercy to others. Our Christian beliefs were never intended to be used to suppress the freedom of thought and expression of others. Now, this does not mean that we are all equally right and that what we think and do is the same. But we are equally valued as individuals in the sight of the Lord. And so we are to seek appropriate means to express our disagreement with those whose views do not align with our Christian faith. But at the same time, pluralism in American society means that the Christian has just as much right to be explicitly a follower of Jesus. Not just believers, but the right to practice our faith. And that's one of the great battles where there are great culture wars that are occurring today. Those that are saying, I don't care what you believe, but I just don't want to see you practice it. But we do have the right to both believe and practice our faith. And so although we recognize the right of others to differ, we stand and we live into the truth of the gospel and we understand that there is no other way to God than through Jesus. He is the only way, the truth, and the life. And so be cautious about the cultural warring and seek ways in which you can be transformative in the lives of others. Secondly, I would say that we have to be cautious to not conform to the world. Romans 12, 2, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Others need to see that Christ makes a difference in our life. And so I would ask each of us to challenge, does our life reflect the fact that we are different? Are you willing to be set apart? Christ has called us to be set apart for him. And so are we willing to be set apart? Or do we just want to blend in to the landscape? I believe that our joy needs to be evident. Our words, the language that we use needs to be evident. The entertainment we choose, our dress, our service, our attitude toward others. There are many ways in which we send the message that we are willing to be set apart and it's Christ that makes the difference in us. And so does your life and mine, do we reflect Christ in me, the hope of glory? Regretfully, I encounter too many Christians who speak more of defeat and despair than they speak of victory. We are victorious Christians. Christ has already won the victory, for goodness sakes. And so no matter, and it's true there are things that I would like to fix and to change, and I'm not in agreement with much that I see, but my goodness, the victory triumphs over that. And so I, ca I caution you and encourage you to be a victorious Christian and speak to the hope that you have. Be ready to speak to that hope that you have. Jesus' call to action in us is always God-centered and not self-centered. And so to speak to despair and defeat is to be more self-centered. But when we live out the hope and the victory that's in us because he indwells us, it changes the whole narrative. And this is, a, this is not always easy. I mean, it's a battle because we encounter this so often. Last week, I wasn't in Kentucky. I was uh, visiting with a one of our federal congressional uh, elected officials and his chief of staff. And so as we were meeting, both of them Christian, deeply committed Christian, and this is an elected official in D.C. who's really living out his faith. 
But the chief of staff started a conversation that said, you know, America's already gone off the cliff. It's hopeless for us. And so I said, so what God are you serving to say that it's hopeless and we've already gone off the cliff? What, what do you understand about history? I'm serving a God that brings about great awakenings. I'm praying for a great movement of his spirit across this nation. Do you ask me if there are things that I'd like to change? Yes, but I'm sure not submitting to the fact that we're defeated. And then I'll have other Christians that will say, well, you know, nothing's going to change because we're in the end days, and that's Scripture tells us. You know, these are the end days. Well, we don't know if they're the end days. The only thing we know about that is we know, we, and we do watch the times and the seasons, and we understand something about that. We know we're closer than we've ever been to the end days. <laughs> But we also know that we're called to work till Jesus comes. And I'm going to be found working for him, hopeful and victorious, until that day comes. And so I, I caution you against the cultural wars. I caution you against conforming. And I also caution us against compromise. Sometimes it's just easy uh, to, let, let's just compromise and, and you know, we'll say we're both half right. Well, no, we, we cannot be uh, following God's word as, the, as his true and errant word of God and that he is the way, the truth, and the life if we're selling out half of what we believe. And so it's not about compromise either. And what I'd like to suggest that we are about is countering, that we are to counter others' beliefs and somehow to juxtapose the way the world chooses to believe those that are not Christian and what we know is true of Jesus and bring the two of those together because what Paul, the Lord says through Paul in 1 Corinthians 12.30, just before he goes into the love chapter, Corinthians 13, he says, now I'll show you a more excellent way. And so he's calling us to a more excellent way and that doesn't require culture warring or conforming, or compromising, but it does require showing a more excellent way, which is to counter. I'm going to share a story of one of our students. It's such an example. You know, I learn much from them. And uh, I'll, uh, this story is not a, a private story, or I would not be sharing it, but some of you may be familiar with Indian Falls that's here in Jessamine County. And Indian Falls is a, it's a beautiful place. I've been there myself, but this is on private property. And so I had the opportunity recently to meet the owner of Indian Falls, and, and she told me in a very nice way, she said, uh, my neighbor told me that there were students on the property, and we had posted signs to not be trespassing, but the neighbor saw some students on the property, and they had on Asbury University shirts. So I said, okay, I'm sorry that we've been, another one of those things that comes to for the president's desk to do something about trespassing students. Uh, but so we, we talked, and so I told her, we'll make sure that they know that it is uh, private property and that they should not be trespassing. So we put the word out in case you happen to be uh, visiting this area. Respect the owner and know that it's private property. And do you know, within 24 hours, a student responded and said, my friends and I have gone over there, and we have. We, we are guilty of being there. Now, we've never littered the property, but we've seen where others have. And so we would like to offer to the owner that we will go and spend a day cleaning up the property. 
it's like, only Asbarians. What a great way to counter. We're sorry for what we did, and we want to come back in a way that we can respond and to show to you that we're sorry, not just giving lip service, but let us serve. And so we can find ways in all that we do to counter and be transformational to those lives around us. And so it requires us to be prepared to give an answer for the hope that we have and to always do it with kindness and with gentleness. So what do you believe? Can you leave here today and just say, these at least are some of the things that I believe. Actually, it would take uh, days and hours and weeks for us to cover all of those, but to know why you have the hope and what it is and what do you believe. And I, be I think that it's very important for us to be able to speak to those things because that gives us the foundation. I say to many people who are not Christians or not people of faith or of other faiths, when I talk, I will begin my conversation with them and say, I'd like to hear where you're coming from and what your context is, but for me, I have chosen to believe that the Bible is true. I do believe that the Bible is true. And so therefore... It's helpful for you to know that because any other response that I have will come out of that understanding. And so know what you believe is true. I also believe that there's truth. That's something that's in debate today, not for us as Christians, but I believe truth exists, absolute truth exists, and I believe truth is found in Jesus. And so we need to be prepared to say those. I believe that there is one God. If you believe there are multiple ways, and that's another take off in what's happening with religious pluralism, that there are many other ways to God, that there is a God, but there are many ways to him. And because I believe in God's word, I understand that Jesus is the only way to God. And so if others believe that there's more than one way, then we do not serve the same God. I believe that Jesus gave his life for me. I believe that he loves me. No, I know that he loves me. I know that he cares for me. Be prepared to give a defense of what you believe. But do it with gentleness and love. And so what's a Christian to do? And let me take just uh, my last remaining time to share a bit about what's a Christian to do. And I've been thinking about this because of the nature of conversations I've encountered externally with our alums and friends over the past six or eight months. First, I think you need to embrace this notion of truth. And I, as we look at religious pluralism, the first casualty is truth. It discourages us from seeking truth because if we believe there are many other ways, then we're not seeking the one way, and it discourages us from seeking that. And so be prepared to speak to truth and defend truth and why that you believe that absolute truth exists. I want to encourage us all to speak more to what we are for than what we are against. You know, there's much that's been spoken and written even in recent years about the hostility of Christians and, and people often view us for what, what we're against. And they pull out the rule list, you know, we don't do this, we don't do that, these are the things we're opposed to. Shift the conversation. If you want to be counter-cultural, if you want to counter, shift the conversation to what we believe and what we know. And... So I want you to think more positively and proactively in that way. We also need to recognize that many of our neighbors, I don't mean folks in other countries, but many of our neighbors 
are not even aware that they need Jesus. They're not aware of who he is. Talk to the public school teachers in our community or in this state or any other state. I'm sure it would be the same thing. But the, our Christian school teachers tell us that they are just, uh, it's almost unbelievable how few young kids even know about the love of God. And the only way they've heard God's name used is in some profane way. And so we need to recognize that everybody has not come even from a background or an understanding that God exists. They're not even aware. They haven't been told. They have no context. And so we are the letter, as Paul writes. We are God's letter for them to read. And having just spoken of elected officials, write to your elected officials. Make sure that they understand that what your views are. I, have, I make a visit at least once a year to the Hill and visit all of our elected officials, and uh, they're, they're serious about that. And then they will end up calling us. I, this week, I've had uh, one national senator and one state senator that has contacted me and asking, so what would your views be on certain bills that are before Congress? Now, they might not heed that, but at least we have the opportunity to be heard. And so take that opportunity to be heard. Contact them. Vote. We know that it, it, voting in the last, in last number of elections, that evangelicals are the smallest group of people voting. And so take up your own civic responsibility. But more importantly, be willing to take up the cross. The cross really is the door to the kingdom places. Allow the Holy Spirit to take command of your life and surrender to him and embrace the opportunities to witness and serve others who differ from you. Avoid complacency. Avoid getting caught up in the mainstream culture. And most importantly, cultivate a relationship, the vertical relationship with our triune God. That's the most important thing that will allow us to stand no matter what that if we have the vertical relationship with him, and relationships are important, our horizontal community relationships, family and friends, and those with whom we work are important, but if we've not first taken care of the deep, deep work we need to do of the Holy Spirit within us, and I would say on a daily basis, we need daily to be coming before the Father and the Holy Spirit and allowing him to teach us and to give us wisdom each day. We need to understand that he's really the one that does the work. And at this point, I probably need to preach to myself more than anyone. He's the one that does the work. And sometimes as Christians, we just want to take it all on our own hands and we set out to fix things and to change things and to help people understand what they need to know. And God calls us to that place of rest, the Sabbath rest that says each day, we need to let him do the work, but we need to be ready to give a defense for what we believe and for the hope that is in us. We also need to understand that the Holy Spirit does the convicting. We do not. And I wonder if somehow in this Abbey column, the uh, uh, friend that keeps quoting scripture and inviting this family to church, and nothing's wrong with either of those, but we need to let the Lord, the Holy Spirit say, you know, now it's time to keep quiet. And I tell you, when I invite him, and I do invite him, but when I invite the Lord to tell me when to close my mouth, more times than not, he will shut my mouth rather than having me say something. 
I'll leave this example in closing. Several years ago, before I came into this role, I was invited to uh, teach in Vienna. And actually, it was right after 9-11. 9-11, of course, uh, in that year, and then in January, the next semester, I went to Vienna to teach. And I was teaching in a school. It was teaching in English. It was uh, an English-based school. But most of the students there were Muslim. And so I had just, you know, we'd come out of this American experience, and our nerves were very uh, sensitive, and we were uh, very aware of what was going on around us. In fact, once a week I had to, uh, I would hear from the American embassy and had to keep in touch with them. But in my very first class, I was teaching in their MBA program, in my very first class, students in that class were just cheating on our first exam, and I was horrified. And, and I took it personally. You know, I should not have it. It's like, how dare you be cheating in my class? And I was offended by it. And so as I was sitting there praying, it's like, Lord, what do I do with this? Um, he immediately said, you just keep quiet. You don't say a word. And so I really started allowing him to speak into my spirit. And so I didn't say anything then. I took their exams, uh, took them back to my little flat where I was staying. And as I started grading them, then the Lord gave me a great plan for the next time that I would give exams. And so my plan was is that the next exam would be all scrambled. Now, it caused some work on me. I had to prepare many exams and not just one. But um, that second exam, almost everybody in the class failed. And so it gave me the opportunity then when, when they started coming to see me. So what happened? How did I make you know, an A on the first one, and then I've made an F on the other one. It gave me an opportunity to talk to them and to tell them that I had witnessed their uh, behavior at the first time. And if I had have reacted out of what I wanted to do and to <laughs> have really let them know how offended I was by what had happened, um, I would have completely closed the door. And so out of that, the Lord gave me a scripture, which is second. Corinthians 3.17, I believe, which says, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And he taught me that if we can be full enough of him, be so full of him, spending time with him, letting him teach us and love us, if we are so full of him, where his Spirit is, that freedom will overflow. And it completely changed the rest of my semester, my interactions there, because I had all kinds of words I wanted to say to them. I wanted to be able to witness to them in a very uh, uh, oral way, in a verbal way. And the Lord showed me very early on that it's really more about who you are and let them see my spirit in you. And I witnessed that firsthand. And so if, if you, you know, we just have to know that his spirit is witnessing to human spirit around us. And so as you think about, well, I have an opportunity to witness to others in this pluralistic environment. Your greatest need is to be full of Jesus, to be full of the Holy Spirit and let his love then overflow from your life onto them. And then as St. Francis said, and then if we have to, we'll use words, but let your life shine for him. May that be true. Thank you.